this. Yes, Blockbuster Film School. This is Blockbuster Film School. Film school. We missed you. We missed the shit out of you. Welcome back. I was worried about you. Where have you been? Do you know what time it is? Me and the other head of the Blockbuster Film School have been waiting up all night, smoking cigarettes and concerned where you were. We've been wearing bathrobes. And who is the other head of the Blockbuster Film School? I'm Alex Bonner, joined as always by the star player of the Blockbuster Film School basketball team, Nicholas Souter. I've never been concerned about anyone. Welcome, welcome in, you handsome devils. It's very nice to see you. You can see people? Sometimes. Okay. <laughs> uh, we're schwitzing in the Chicago summertime here Oof. at the Beach House Studios, but we are here. We are ready to make the best possible Blockbuster Film School episode you could possibly listen to. That's why you're here to be instructed in the ways of cinema, and we we decided to talk about one of the greatest filmmakers of all time. And then we decided to scrap that episode, <laughs> let's talk about Joel Schumacher, because he just died. <laughs> R.I.P. R.I.P. Joel. But yeah, a lot of your movies were real stupid. We'll talk about that. You even apologize for some of them yeah. yourself, so... Also, the ghost of Joel Schumacher is here. That's why Alex is speaking to him directly. That's why I have an ascot on. Yeah. <laughs> he only That's why my gray uh, Hanes shirt has nipples. That's <laughs> why there's so many close-ups of our butts. Yeah. We'll do our normal gambit. Nick, what's the first time you remember watching a Joel Schumacher movie? What was the first time I was sad? Um, <laughs> no, I'm not going to just talk shit, but I'm also, I have no plans to be nice about him because Honestly, he's dead. It's fine. I feel like the first I remember watching Cousins with my mom. Ooh. Cuz it's Tinker. it's about Italians and <laughs> if you've heard me in any other episode you're not surprised. But the movie I remember really seeing first is The Client. Yeah, me too. Me too. I saw it in the theater. I saw it like in the dollar 50 movie theater. Oh uh, nice. Which was a thing that used to exist. Uh before like there was a mid tier before Blockbuster where a movie came out in the good first run movie theater. And then before it went to the video store, DVD store, it was at the dollar fifty movies. Yeah. Where you could kind of preview it for borderline nothing. Popcorn still costs ten bucks, but not at Harlem Corners. <laughs> also, as a so that came out in like ninety three. It was on um HBO by ninety four. Yeah. Eleven year old kid. And despite that, I knew who Anthony LaPaglia was, and I thought it was a very odd choice that he was a gangster yes. wearing a sheer black crop top shirt. There's also, when you very first see him, he is wearing like a gold lame yeah. like suit with no shirt underneath. Yeah. And he is a hitman. Right? His name is The Knife or The Blade or some shit. And I'm just like, this is a very odd choice. And then you learn about Joel Schumacher yes. when you get older. And you're like, oh, that makes sense. Production wise, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I like what he does yes. with his weird choices. Because honestly, that's the only thing I remember from the fucking client. I, I agree. Anthony LaPaglia wearing a green outfit when you meet him in New yeah. Orleans. He's like, I'm a hitman. I'm a flamboyant <laughs> Italian <laughs> southerner. Yeah. I want everyone to notice me before I murder people. What? I could just also see Joel just kind of being like, um, this movie is boring. And a gold lame suit, now that I think about it, might just spice this up. He only apologized for one of his films. Because <laughs> you know what's funny about Joel? A lot of his movies made a lot of money. And to his credit, he only really apologized when he failed. And or people were like, this movie sucks. And he, to his credit, he was like, yeah, this sucks. Yeah. He was making apologies about Batman and Robin before it came out. <laughs> I mean, I get it. So if I let... Any of the fans down with this movie, I just want them to know <laughs> I'm free. I'm sorry. I apologize. I apologize. Also, it kind of how sometimes art careers have a career kind of like a serial killer or like anyone else where 
it starts and you're really precise. You're really doing the stuff. And then as it starts to go, it starts to get a little more and more off the rails and more and more off the rails until you finally are arrested by the police or Hollywood puts you in a car, drives you to the LA County line and throws you out of the car. And is like, get lost. Luckily, Uh, all the the, uh, rehab places in LA are right after the County line. Exactly. There are a few at Joshua tree for sure. So, We'll just do real quick. Joel T. Schumacher, he was born August 29th, 1939, in New York, New York, a lifer. Sadly died June 22nd, 2020, just not that long ago. In New York, New York, he was an American film director, screenwriter, and producer. And honestly, where he got his start, and this is going to blow your guys' mind, a costume designer, a really amazing production and costume designer. That's where he first broke into the business. He went to the famous new school of design, the Parsons School now of design in Greenwich Village in New York. It said he would continue suffering from substance abuse and high levels of debt until the early 70s. I don't know what that means, but uh, I assume cocaine. But he entered filmmaking as a production and costume designer, particularly on movies, some of which he would direct, but like The Wiz, a lot of the costumes on The Wiz were his design. He loved Diana Ross. All of these are shocking. I mean, they're shocking. And a lot of his early movies were not big, but he would eventually become one of the kind of big dogs of 90s cinema, 90s Hollywood directors, and would work all the way up until 2013 when he directed a couple episodes of House of Cards, which honestly, I actually kind of liked those episodes of House of Cards, but that's probably because David Fincher was secretly there. (laughs) Being like, you do what I tell you, or I'm going to mace you. (laughs) So in the 70s, He worked on a lot of movies. He designed the production dine for, like, a lot of Woody Allen movies, like Sleeper particularly, though. I know Woody Allen, a problematic character, but I think we can all admit that Sleeper, kind of an interestingly production design movie for sure. If you've never seen I will praise anyone who works on it. I take that back. You know, fuck everyone who works with Woody Allen. (laughs) After the whole thing. (laughs) Before that, that's fine. The time he accidentally ran those people over in Ireland. Oh, no, that's a different guy. That's Matthew Uh, Broderick. (laughs) His was much worse. Yeah. (laughs) And weirder. But he worked on a lot of movies that I've never seen. He worked on The Time of the Cuckoo, The Prisoner of Second Avenue. I've seen interiors, but was a production designer and was doing that for all of the 70s. He also was a writer, which would become shocking also later based on how some of (laughs) it. His movies are written. However, in 1974, he gets this kind of big break where he and a big collaborator of his producer, Howard Rosenman, wrote the script for Sparkle, which later went into production, which was kind of a big, at the time, I guess you would call it like a black exploitation film. Curtis Mayfield wrote the music for it. It had a lot of, you know, big acts of the time, but the plot is inspired by The Supremes. I've never seen it. Have you ever seen Sparkle? No, I just want to say one thing about Curtis Mayfield. Yeah, do it. I love him. I, exactly. I, it's interesting a lot of the people that Schumacher came up with. He works with great people. Mm-hmm. He really does. Mm-hmm. And um, I start every shift off at work by playing Move On Up by Curtis Mayfield. So, I, dude, and just the fact that you mentioned this makes me like Joel Schumacher a little more. And also, maybe by the end of the episode, yes, <laughs> I'll respect him in the slightest. It's also, I think if we go by his timeline, you begin to register an element, which is that he was a cool New York fashion designer guy who wrote movies and was in with all these cool people like Curtis Mayfield and Supreme. So he probably was awesome at parties. He was probably super fun and everyone liked him. And that'll get you a long way (laughs) if you're just in the scene and people are like, when is Joel showing up with the cocaine? Um, So he made Sparkle. It was a mild success. And then because of the success of Sparkle, he was allowed to write the screenplays for Car Wash, which is also kind of a cult hit. If you've never seen Car Wash, if you want to see how weird America was in the 70s, do yourself a favor and watch. The whole movie takes place on an airplane. (laughs) Just about. It definitely was inspired by that kind of stuff going on. And The Wiz. He wrote The Wiz, which would come back with a lot of his musical theater sort of love and background. He wrote a script for A Chorus Line, but the film underwent rewrites in development hell, and he was cut out of the final script for A Chorus Line. So I know everyone's devastated about that. In 1979, though, 
He was selected to serve as the director of The Incredible Shrinking Woman. This is where his career really kind of begins. Basically, John Landis didn't agree with what they wanted to do. He left the movie, and so they they got Joel. They were like, this guy writes movies. He's cool. His face is covered in cocaine. He's wearing an ascot. We should have him direct this movie. And just this is how Hollywood works, okay? This is not my fault. Have you ever seen The Incredible Shrinking Woman? I have. I actually enjoy that film. Yeah. I really like Lily Tomlin. I agree. It's a Lily Tomlin vehicle. It is. That's psychedelic. Exactly. It helped because when I saw it, I was real fucking high on drugs. <laughs> it, and it, I... <laughs> yes. It's silly and it's dumb, but more than anything, it's fun. Yes. And Lily Tomlin... Lily Tomlin's funny at a funeral. I agree. And I remember it being a really strangely well-made sci-fi movie where yeah. you watch this woman shrink down to tiny size. Yeah. It's bizarre, but as a kid watching it, I said to myself, this is the kind of movie for me. This is exactly the kind of weird shit I'm into. I enjoy this. And it was a decent hit. It had a $10 million budget. It had a box office of $30 million. So yeah. in 1979, that's rock and roll. And then they decided that he would follow it up with Brian Tubbs' favorite movie, 1983, the year of my birth, and the year of your birth. He directed DC Cab, starring Mr. T. <laughs> Way to make the year we were born even worse. <laughs> Which pretty much is only known to me because it was produced by a guy named Topper Carew, who would go on to co-create the show Martin with Martin Lawrence. That's one of his few credits. It also had Adam Baldwin in it. I've only ever heard of DC Cab, really. Oh, no, my dad showed me this. <laughs> what is DC Cab? I saw this movie when I was, uh, like, 10 years old. <laughs> is this I, why you wear gold chains all the time? 10 or younger. No, it's just because I'm Italian. Um, <laughs> I don't remember anything about this movie. Mm. I know Mr. T's in it, and they drive a cab. <laughs> And either they're trying to win a race or they're trying to save the cab company or there's a murder plot or they have to get a plane not to crash or Mr. T's a robot sent back in time to kill Sarah Connor. Yes. Or there's a ring. Correct. Also, what's that guy's name? Yermoff Shmirmoff in that movie? Yeah, Yakov Shmirmoff. Yeah. Yes, he is definitely. That's in the it. other reason why I know that movie. Yes, there's a Baldwin in it. There's all kinds of. Not the of, good one. Not the good one. Gary Busey is in it. Jesus yeah, Christ. Yeah. There's a lot of, yeah, it's it's exactly what you think. Also, as you've said, after the movie came out, he said, this is quoting Joel Schumacher, he said, I would have never made that movie if I didn't need the money at the time. <laughs> <laughs> so, so there's that. But, strangely enough, DC Cap, a little bit of a hit as well, in the Schumacher way, where he's going to spice it up. I'm going to spice this movie up. It's going to be spiced up, at least in the costumes and production value. And then Hollywood will give him another movie. And this begins at least super producer Brian Tepps' favorite, truly favorite portion of Mr. Schumacher's career, from what I understand. Because then he goes into his true 80s period where he directs two movies, one being St. Elmo's Fire, which is kind of... I hope that's from St. Elmo's Fire. I, it might be. That sounds like 80s enough for it to yeah. be. Uh, if you've never seen St. Elmo's Fire, it's truly the Brat Pack dramedy movie yeah. where everyone's very serious and they've all got serious Brat Pack jobs and they all live in apartments and they're all white people who are in love with each other and they're worried. They're worried, you guys. They're worried about St. Elmo's Fire. So St. Elmo's Fire... Obviously, the kind of quintessential Brat Pack dramedy of white people having to be in love, but also work jobs in the 80s. It's hard. And there's, you know, synth music. I don't know. Have you ever seen Santa Elmo's Fire? I think so. This is the one with the pizza place. <laughs> Two guys are going to a pizza place? No. <coughs> Mystic Pizza? Oh, no, I haven't seen this. No, it's... Does uh, it mean more have a sex scene shower? yes. 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 In this? Yes. Yes. With Rob Lowe. Yes. Yes. It's Rob. It's it's all of your favorite Brad Pack I've seen people. that part. Yes. It's that alone. Rob Lowe, Demi Moore, Emilio Estevez, Ali Sheedy, Judd Nelson, Andrew McCarthy, Andy McDowell. You know what I'm saying? It's all of the... Oh, there's not a black person movie, in this movie. This is the movie where Andy McDowell needs to get a green card for uh, Gerard Depardieu. 
Correct, correct. And they're also caught in a time loop on Groundhog Day. But that movie makes a bunch of money. Um, And then in 1987, he directed The Lost Boys, starring Bill Preston Esquire from Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure. (laughs) That Uh, man has a name. Alex Winter. Yes. And I love him. And I just always, for some reason, think of Alex Winter. It has Jamie Gertz. It has... Corey Haim, R.I.P. Kiefer. Kiefer, Jason Patrick, Is Diane Feldman Weiss. in that too? Hell, uh, no, no. Oh, Corey Feldman, yes. Yeah. Sorry, sorry. Absolutely. And so the opposite Brat Pack, the opposite side 80s Brat Pack, he makes a movie with them. The shitty kids pack. Yeah, that's vampires. And they're mad at their dads. And it was something I was saying where, for me, though, Lost Boys is kind of the first real Schumacher movie where everybody is wearing these costumes and stuff and looks cool. And even if you don't like the movie, you kind of have to say to yourself, I like the way this looks. You're going to like the way you look. And I just, I still to this day try to watch Lost Boys and know what the hell is going on in the storyline, but... Man, look at Alex Winter's hair. It's awesome. Look at Kiefer Sutherland's jacket. It just, it's, they look like a future punk vampire gang, and I could see why people could not take their eyes off of it. I don't know. What do you, what's your take on The Lost Boys, Nick? I hate it. Straight <laughs> up. I, I just don't like that movie. Yes, big thumbs down yeah. for Super Producer Brian Temps. I want to reference this multiple yeah. times if you, if you, I'm going to call back to you not liking me, not liking it a mm. lot. In my main defense of it, I don't know how much of the actual so birth of a nation. <laughs> That's not true at all. That's do not compare birth of a nation to the Lost Boys, please. You're saying there's a cult audience for it who treasure it. There's a cult audience for all movies, but yeah. uh, Lost Boys actually has a cult audience. No, I know that who is not in the KKK, and uh, I guarantee you there's a few Klansmen <laughs> who don't really get. I'm gonna say there's a lower percentage. Obviously, a lower percentage. Because, All I'm saying is, mm-hmm. I hate this movie. That's okay. A lot of people don't like it. As I was talking to Super Producer Brian Tepps about this before, it also kind of has a little bit of a vibe from the future where there were so many 80s horror movies, so many 80s horror movies that were very, there's a, du- a masculine dude stabbing women and has these sexual overtones. And Joel Schumacher, big shocker here, was an openly gay man, and his his version of horror movies was very interesting to me because it had kind of this kind of hot boy vibe, which was a little bit different. It was a different vibe. It's just, you have to admit that The Lost Boys has a different vibe than any of the other vampire movies that came out ever. Do I, though? <laughs> okay, all right. But I think it would be, like I said, I think it's the first time where truly his Joel Schumacherness, his production values and cool sets and handsome people, whether you actually like the script or not, I don't know if I could quote the Lost Boys. I can remember what scenes look like. I, I have a quote from the Lost Boys right yeah. now. You ready? Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Thanks. Nice. And also, just because someone is gay and wants hot boys, that doesn't mean that straight people can't like hot boys and think hot boys are cool. And I think that's something that we've proven in our society since then that – Gay artists are very important, particularly to our understanding of our bizarrely patriarchal, heteronormative society that particularly when they put their spin on subcultures and on cult culture, it particularly has an interesting vibe. That's kind of something that stood out to me. Following The Lost Boys, there's a whole bunch of 90s movies, including Cousins, which Nick referenced, A. Which came from a is a remake of a French film that was called Cousin Cuisine, which is a disturbing name of a movie. Yep, <laughs> but very French. There also was Flatliners, starring Kiefer, another weird horror movie with handsome, cool, weird people doing weird stuff. Flatliners, I remember, kind of being disturbing to me because it's about these medical students who start putting themselves under to die for a few seconds and then bring themselves back and the shit that happens after they do that and they keep doing it. And at first it's a big adrenaline rush, but they've been dead. So they start to have weird stuff happen to them. And uh, M night would definitely see this movie. (laughs) Uh, Have you seen flatliners? Yeah. (laughs) What do you know? I'm going to say 
What, what are you gonna say? I don't like it. <laughs> Looks amazing. Yeah. His movies all look great. Yes, that's gonna but be. A, yeah. I don't care They're about Kiefer and no. Julia Roberts bringing back mm. ghosts from the other side, and because they do, I will say, Campbell Scott in this movie, Flatliners, Flatliners had um, Kiefer, Julia Roberts, William Baldwin, Billy Baldwin, another Baldwin, Oliver Platt, Kevin Bacon. I don't remember them at all. Yeah, exactly. Uh, <laughs> cinematography by Jean Debont. Oh, nice. But as you're saying, he has a very good sense of what looks good. Yeah. Now, whether you actually remember the movie and actually what's happening in it, that's a big. <laughs> I mean, you're telling me, you're telling me a Kevin Bacon movie. I don't remember Kevin Bacon. He in. may not remember what the hell's happening in it. He made Dying Young which with is, Campbell Scott. Yes, and Julia, Julia Roberts. Yeah, produced by Sally Field. Vincent D'Onofrio was in it. Um, Julia Roberts, that teeth girl from Mystic Pizza. Yep. She's the other horse person with John Elway. And <laughs> she has enough money. She'll be fine. Then he made Falling Down, which Michael Douglas, where he starts, he starts to get a little, little rough with it. It's the 90s. He's going to make his grunge, mean movie about White guys shooting black people. Yeah. It doesn't age well. It didn't age well at all. I watched no. a, I basically watched the movie mm-hmm. just in clip form on YouTube. And there's a scene where he beats up a Korean man Ugh. that very much inspired, I'm assuming, Mark Wahlberg when he blinded a Vietnamese <laughs> guy. And um, that was not inspired by Patriots backwards hats. No, you're right. Um, <laughs> but anyways, so in the scene, he just gets so angry that this guy's trying to make a living. You want 85 cents for this can of Coke, this product placement? And then he beats the shit out of the guy. He beats up the guy. He doesn't beat the shit out of him. And destroys his store. I remember even as a kid watching that movie and being like, this is, I couldn't put a term like white privilege on it. But even as a kid, I hated what was going on. I despised that. I despised that movie. This is, in a way, sometimes Joel Schumacher makes movies that are trash. They are not just bad. They are garbage. And Falling Down is garbage. It is going off of 90s baby boomer white people fear. It is crap. And it should not have existed at all. Then he made The Client, our first uh, movie that's kind of like Home Alone if instead of him fighting off the burglars, he saw a guy get murdered. And then Tommy Lee Jones tried to put him in jail for seeing a guy get murdered. What the going on in that movie Tommy Lee Jones <laughs> is trying to become governor yes and he wants this kid who lied about his involvement in this mob lawyer suicide yes which also this is the fattiest and sweatiest movie lawyer yes ever yes you know that scene from the Simpsons where he, he's like oh crap I shouldn't have said secret account oh crap I shouldn't have said client oh, it's too hot <laughs> that is his entire character yeah and also because it's, like, set in New Orleans, so everyone's like, I do declare. Oh, it's terrible. Oh, I say, I say, you don't see no murder. Like, what? But, like, the whole plot is Tommy Lee Jones wants to get this kid on the stand to admit what this guy told him before he killed himself. But it's all fucking hearsay. Yeah. It wouldn't be admissible in court. No. Also, clearly, Anthony LaPaglia did it because he's wearing a gold lame outfit and has a knife and is like, my name's yeah. the knife. I like to kill people, including that guy. Ah, shit. Did I say that guy? I meant not that guy. And then Tommy Lee Jones is like, oh, I don't know. That handsome boy wearing a skin-tight shirt. But I think we should put this child in jail for perjury. I, what? I, <laughs> that's a movie. R.I.P. Uh, Brad Renfro. Oh, true. R.I.P. Also, also, it's just like baby Mary Louise Parker. Kind of cute in it, though. Yes. But um, <laughs> the thing I remember most about this movie, mm-hmm. this fucking 11-year-old kid. Yes. Who's like, oh, my, I'm rough and tough. I take care of my mom. I have a dollar. <laughs> he doesn't believe that Susan Sarandon, whose character is his attorney, yes. who's like 40 fucking years older than this kid, <laughs> who also admitted she went to a alcohol rehab center. Yes. So you know she likes to party. Also, she lives in New Orleans. Like, exactly. Who hasn't gone to an alcohol rehab center in New Orleans? But he's like, if you're so cool, why don't you name the first four Led Zeppelin albums? 
And then she makes oh, him eat shit. And then she's walking away. She goes, by the way, it's there one, two, three. And four is untitled, but everyone just calls it four. And he goes, all right, you can be my lawyer. <laughs> also, some people call it so-so. You ass. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah, that's a movie. That's a movie that got made. And just so everyone knows, the client made so much money. Oh, boy, did it make money. It cost $40 million to make. And in the 90s, this was back in a time when this was a big amount of money, but it made $130 million, right, off of a, basically a $40 million budget. And because of that, then the studios didn't agree with Tim Burton what he wanted to do after Batman Returns, so they decided to turn in 1993 to Joel Schumacher. They said to themselves, this guy knows how to direct a Batman movie. He made that movie about that kid that saw that guy suffocate himself and then Tommy Lee Jones yelled at him for two hours. This is a Batman type guy. And so Schumacher was selected by Warner Brothers in 1993 to replace Tim Burton as the director of the Batman franchise, where he would then direct Batman Forever, the first of his Batman saga, which would, of course, star Tommy Lee Jones as Two-Face. And basically the reason the movie made money, Val Kilmer. No, no. <laughs> The height of Jim Carrey power. The height of Jim Carrey could walk into a bank and money would just explode out of the vault because he had appeared. If you weren't alive or don't remember, in the mid-90s, Jim Carrey would show up and make his butt talk and it would make $100 million. Just, that's... Do you have a mint? (laughs) Or perhaps some banaca? (laughs) Do you have any more of that gum? Um... (laughs) <laughs> Finkel is Einhorn. Um, so this movie is transphobic. <laughs> only if a trans person is a murderer trying to destroy the Miami Dolphins. Okay, so Batman Forever is when you finally give Joel Schumacher a hundred million dollars to do something. There are neon lights. There are Batman butt close-ups. There are Glowing things coming out of the Batmobile. There are glowing things coming out of everywhere. I don't know how much Molly he was on, but I assume I'm going to say a ton. I'm going to say a metric ton. There is so much glowing mayhem happening in Batman Forever. What's your take on Batman Forever? We have to, I mean, this is, in a way, I said this earlier, if there was anything close to a Schumacher masterpiece, it is Batman Forever. I don't hate it. I don't hate it either. Um, I didn't like it when it came out because it wasn't a Tim Burton movie. Mm-hmm. And I watched it and I was like, wow, Val Kilmer, he is so flat. And then, Harvey, I'm Batman. <laughs> That's accurate. Yes. And he's yelling in a circus. Right. Also, <laughs> Nicole Kidman is one of the most mm. amazing actors ever. Yes. And she comes across as... A dame in a lifetime movie. Oh, I know. What? The villains are the star of this movie. Absolutely. Jim Carrey is going full, like you said, yeah. ass clown out, whatever. <laughs> but Tommy Lee Jones is fucking great. Agreed. To Schumacher's credit, teaming up those two as a weird foil with each other, it kind of... He decided to make a movie version of the Adam West Batman. Yeah, that's what <laughs> it was. He decided that was what he was going to make. He was going to make a crazy version of the Adam West Batman, and it kind of worked. And basically because of hua, you had Chris O'Donnell become Robin, which for a lot of little nerds that Robin was about to appear in a movie also was cool. And the costumes that time particularly looked dope. I liked Robin's costume. Yeah. I, I liked Jim Carrey's costume. I, like, it, I don't like Chris O'Donnell. I honestly think the best... Robin appearance in all the Batman franchises was in, um, this sounds strange, but Batman v Superman because he's dead and it's just his costume (laughs) and a thing. Um, You know, like the last, the big M. Night Shyamalan reveal of The Dark Knight Rises where it's like, that guy from Third Rock from the Sun, you would think he's real tough. He's a man. His first name is Robin. Yeah. Yeah. I actually haven't seen that. Well, turns out. I know. I, <laughs> Spoiler alert. I liked The Dark Knight so much I refused to see the last one. That's just, fair. Just to keep it, you know. It's okay. Even Nolan was like, I don't know what the hell's happening. What did you I think of Batman Forever? I bought the Taco Bell Collector's Cups. I was psyched. I was still in Batman movie mode. 
I liked Batman Returns. I was disappointed that Tim Burton was gone, but this thing was so bombastic and insane. I went and saw it in the theater. I didn't see it multiple times like I did with the original Tim Burton Batman, but yeah, I did enjoy it. I liked Jim Carrey back then, particularly. I was yeah. I mean, we were kids. We were yeah. children. It was America. Ninety five. We were twelve. If Jim Carrey would have come out and said, you know, I'm the president now, fifty percent of America would have said, yeah, that's fine. I'm okay with that. Yes. Yeah, America doesn't know how to vote. <laughs> they don't know shit about um, shit. <laughs> I feel like we'd be fucking up if we didn't mention the soundtrack. Well, both of the Schumacher Batmans, but yes, that's this one, what's on there. Okay, so obviously there's Kiss from a Rose by Seal. And then you two <laughs> had Hold Me, Thrill Me, Kiss Me, Kill Me, which at the time yeah. I liked. Yeah. But I want to give this soundtrack a lot of credit. Yeah. It's got PJ Harvey, Massive Attack, Mazzy Star, Offspring, Nick Cave, Method Man, yeah. and uh, The Flaming Lips. Sunny Day Real Estate, and then has Michael Hutchinson mm. from In Excess covering Iggy Pop's The Passenger. I'm, I'm. This was a good fucking soundtrack. This is the culmination of Schumacher, though. This is him being in the cool scene, knowing the cool music, living in New York, kind of putting his finger, bingo, on the zeitgeist. This is bingo. Him doing it. It's the one time he would pull it off. The one time he would pull it off, and he did it. And... It's not the greatest movie, but if you want to see what 1990s zeitgeist look like, it's Batman Forever. Yeah. It's the soundtrack. It's the look. It's the people who are in it. It's wild style, and it made uh, an absurd for the time. Oh, um, for any time, really. I agree. I agree. I just want to... 336? 336, yes. Which it had a budget of $100 million, but still, I yeah. mean... At the time, there wasn't as much of a double budget for worldwide press tours and things. Like a hundred million probably had a, you know, an advertising budget of then another twenty twenty five million. You know what I'm saying? So, Batman, you could call it fifty. Either way, yeah, either well, either way, because this was still like after this came out, people bought the DVD. I have, the, I have the fucking DVD and the VHS of this, right? And I didn't fucking like it. It was just like, oh well, you gotta buy all three, right? Right, and, and I, then when it came to buying all four, I was like, you know what? I'm not committed. I agree. It comes later with Batman and Robin in his career, but obviously he then, because of the success of this, would make Batman and Robin, which we all now know is up there in terms of the dumbest movies ever <laughs> by human beings. There's a part where Arnold Schwarzenegger, dressed as Mr. Freeze, as we all know, says someone wrote down on a script and got paid for it. What killed the dinosaurs? Dot dot dot. The Ice Age, and then he sprays an ice ray all over the pl- like. Yeah. Ooh. Here's the thing: <laughs> Arnold wrote that, and nobody wants to tell him <laughs> that he doesn't understand what killed the dinosaurs. It, here's here's <laughs> the thing: dumber than that, mm-hmm. and we mentioned this when we we're talking about it. And I thought about this this morning in the shower. Batman <laughs> has. I ruined my fucking shower. I'm not even kidding. Mm-hmm. I just stood there. I was like, I'm going to be late for work, but I can't stop. Batman has a credit card. Yes. So that means you could trace back. Yes. Where the money's coming from or where the bill is. Oh, my. It's so stupid. I know right. it's this Batman movie. And you're not supposed to look into it that much, but it's a fucking cre- It's a part of the economy. You can't do anything with a credit card, even in the 90s, and not get caught up. There's like a side. Obviously, as a comic book nerd, the master ninja, the master shadow, who is no one, who is everyone, he is Batman. The idea that he would show up and be interviewed. He's not Superman. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's preposterous. However, I know what Schumacher's thinking in his head a little bit. He's thinking, this Coke is good. I am now rich. I get the best Coke. I am out of my mind on cocaine. Two, he's thinking, I made an Adam West Batman movie the first time, and everyone loved it, and it made a lot of money. So I'm going to go even harder into the Adam West Batman. And if you don't remember the Adam West Batman, he had a bat phone and bat shark repellent and bat nonsense. And so Schumacher decided... Because I think Batman Forever was a little bit of a hybrid of the Tim Burton movies with the Adam West movies combined with 90s mayhem and Jim Carrey and Tommy Lee Jones saving the shit out of it. 
This one didn't have that. It no. It <laughs> didn't have any of that. And as you said, even before it really was released, Schumacher apologized. Yeah. But he, I have to read this. He later directed Batman and Robin, which was rushed into production following Batman Forever and was intentionally made toyetic and lighthearted to appeal to children and sell merchandise. The movie was released to Trail most... Jedi. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> All the prequels. <laughs> um... The movie was released to mostly negative reviews and did not perform as well at the box office as any of its predecessors. It was alleged that Schumacher, an openly gay man, had added homoerotic elements to the film, with the most prominent being the rubber nipples, cod pieces, and close-up camera shots of Batman and Robin's butts. It says butts, okay? Uh, (laughs) However, Schumacher stated that the design of the suits had been based on anatomically correct Greek statues and medical drawings, which, what are you talking about? That's your defense. And however, in 2005, Clooney said that Schumacher told him on set many times that Batman was gay. So I, <laughs> I would have, you I know love, what? I kind of love that. That would have made a better movie. <laughs> exactly. Him and Robin just start kissing in the middle of that movie. That's so much better. Yeah. It's but, memorable. Oh the only thing God. I remember yeah. from Batman and Robin is the nipples. Yes. The butts. Mm-hmm. The terrible puns, <laughs> chill out, man, or whatever. Fucking. <laughs> At that point, he literally became the character from The Simpsons. Absolutely. And then, I rem- I don't know which one it is, but in one of these, either this one or Forever, they drive the Batmobile up a statue. Yes. Like, it drives vertically up a statue. Yes. That occurs. <laughs> also, the only black person in... Any Batman of these. and Robin. Yeah, yeah, I don't remember in Batman Forever. It yeah. might have been Seal making a cameo for fuck's sake. <laughs> but it's Vivica A. Fox mm-hmm. as half of his, like, I think it's his wife, but he has like two wives. He's like a polygamist. Yeah. He's from Wyoming. <laughs> it makes no goddamn sense. Or is it Utah? Batman is a gay Mormon. <laughs> I would watch that movie. I would also watch that. George Clooney just kind of shaking his head, saying to himself, What the hell's happening to me? Is this the end of my career? Could you imagine sitting there wearing the costume and you're George Clooney and you don't you don't know, really. You're just coming out of TV. You don't know if this is the end of your career. Is this the end of my career? You're wearing a bat you know suit what? with nipples on it and a, like a, a cod piece that has what appears to be an actual flaccid penis on it. And you're just like, okay. <laughs> Here's the thing. Here's the thing. I'd rather yeah. be George Clooney in that situation mm. than Val Kilmer sitting around oh. between takes going, I'm going to have the best career ever after this my life i'm gonna be the next tom cruise i'm gonna tear that man down because that's not they hate each other right that's not like also that's not a movie thing that is also true also i have to bring this up to joel schumacher's credit he did want nipples on the alicia silverstone batgirl costume and they said that was a a hard nc-17 which fuck america for that you can have just non-stop close-ups of Clooney's taint, at, but you can't have nipples. I mean, there shouldn't be nipples on anybody's costume, but still, it's like, that's you can't do that. Why? I don't know. Also, so where did you see Clooney's taint? Uh, when there are way more butt close-ups in Batman and Robin than you think there are. There I know, are, I know. I, I, I can think of all of them. That's what I'm saying. But I'm just saying. I'm saying a his, butt shot his, is not the same as, no, like... No, there's bat taint. You know what I'm saying? Like, there's bat, like... There's bat shots. Also, uh, coming real, up. real fast, yeah. shameless plug. Yeah. Bat Taint is my Bat <laughs> Anatomy podcast that's starting in a few weeks. That's fair. That's fair. I just want people to look Also, I don't want anyone to, like, I strongly disagree with the critics. Uh, Schumacher doing weird stuff with weird sex stuff is not why that movie fails. <laughs> that movie failed because Alicia Silverstone is supposed oh, to be my. the English grand nephew or niece or yes. cousin or whatever to fucking Alfred. Oh my God. Thank you for bringing this up. Also, Uncle I, Alfred, I am Southern California. I don't know when Alicia Silverstone stopped being able to act, but it was right around then. It was, right. it was, it was the last day of Clueless. <laughs> it was preposterous. So yeah, Batman and Robin, a real winner, but Schumacher would continue to direct movies And I think there's basically just a a list of his movies. Well, so we should talk about how, though, between the two Batman movies, in 1996, he makes A Time to Kill, which got nominated for some Academy Awards, was written by Akiva Goldsman, won the NCAA Image Award for Outstanding Motion Picture. Obviously, maybe in a way, 
Pulp Fiction and then A Time to Kill are Samuel L. Jackson rising to mega A-plus list Samuel L. Jackson levels. But Matthew McConaughey coming in to be white savior in the movie about black people. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, it's um, – I, I don't – do you remember A Time to Kill? I saw it in the theater in the 90s. I saw it on free preview weekend for stars. Mm. I remember liking it in the theater and thinking it was kind of powerful, but also as a child saying to myself, I was like – it's clunky. And weird white people have to save the yeah. black people. And I, I'm i not disagreeing and saying that there is a systematic racism in America and the Ku Klux Klan and nightmarish shit that throw people down fucking wells. Watch Just Mercy. And I understand in the 90s, this was actually probably a pretty progressive take, actually, and was a big hit. So in terms of things, you know, particularly critically. I don't know. I don't really remember it well enough, but it is peculiar that Joel Schumacher was able to pull off a time to kill in between Batman Forever and Batman and Robin. I mean, that's why Batman and Robin is a big piece of shit. <laughs> exactly. You go Grisham, Batman, Grisham, Batman. Also, Grisham's a character in Batman. Yeah. So it's like, you're not going to fucking, you're going to burn out and you're going to make a terrible movie. For real. I, I mean, I should watch A Time to Kill again. Before I really, uh, I haven't seen I, it. In I feel a like while. any movie that uses child rape as like <laughs> the jumping off point for a script, like you could have made that movie about something else and then gone from there about, you know, systemic racism and yeah. revenge and white saviorism and all that bullshit. But like, and also that goes back to John Grisham. It's his fucking thing. Agreed. Agreed. And like you said, Schumacher doing stuff is always kind of clunky in a way. And, Particularly, and then him doing Grisham stuff where he's, I'm telling the hard stories. And it's like, are you? Yeah, are you really man. telling the hard stories? Cause it's like an R-rated version of hard copy. Yeah, exactly. It feels like Dateline came yeah. to life. So, But Sandy Bullock was in it. It's a crazy cast. I mean, it's got, obviously, Samuel L., Matthew McConaughey, Sandra Bullock, Kevin Spacey, <laughs> Ashley Judd, Oliver Platt, Donald Sutherland. I mean, it's like... Charles S. Dutton. Like, it's like, name off everyone who was Charles famous. S. Dutton's in this? Yeah, totally. I love that guy. Doug Hutchinson. Uh-oh. Kurtwood Smith. Who's Doug Hutchinson? He is the scumbag from Lost who married that, like, 17-year-old girl. Uh, yeah, I he's, he's, he's a bummer. Talking about, but he's a real weird He's a bummer. scumbag. But, like, Anthony Heald, John Deal, lots of character actors. Lots of, like, Joe Seneca. I love that guy. But after this, this is the height. This is the height of Schumacher powers, in a way, I suppose. Because after that... Comes the demise. But there would be some hits in there, like 8mm. David Fincher made 7, and then Joel Schumacher said to himself, what if I made that but way dumber? Yeah. You know why this movie's better? Why is that, Joel? Because 8 a bigger number than 7. <laughs> it's after. Eight, they'll, the audience won't know. And, of course, Nick Cage. Nick Cage working with Joel Schumacher. I just would like to watch those production meetings where those two are talking to each other. And I feel like in those production meetings, Joel Schumacher was asking Nick Cage to tone down the gayness. He <laughs> <laughs> just tears his shirt off. Yeah. <laughs> what are you talking about? What if everything's pierced? <laughs> what if the murderer is super sadosexual? Uh, okay. I guess, I, I guess, I guess that's sure. every movie, I guess. I don't really remember 8mm. Do you remember 8mm? <laughs> I remember parts of it. Yeah, I, I saw I remember it. we talked about the Joaquin Phoenix episode. I didn't like it, so I'm going to stick with that. Mm-hmm. Zang. Also, go back and listen to Joaquin Phoenix. Yeah, listen to the Joaquin and listen to the Nicolas Cage episode. Oh, my, so many Deep callbacks. Cut. Deep cut. So, he basically just makes some movies. I'm going to go through some hot takes of the couple of movies he directs in the 2000s, because the 2000s starts to slow down a little bit. He also got old. He was 80 when he died. I know. and Which is very surprising. I didn't think he was that old. Rock and roll, though. I mean, he was directing House of Cards episodes in his 70s. So, I mean, the guy's been rocking and rolling for a while. I will give Joel this. It's interesting of what his politics are, because you can't really ever tell, because I would say, as we were talking about a little bit, A Time to Kill... 
for the time, though, is pretty woke, right? Is pretty trying to explain something to a lot of American audiences about how screwed up uh, systematic racism is in America. It may not pull it off all the way, but then he also makes falling down. <laughs> so there's weird. Uh... <laughs> I'm pretty sure. You know, I'm not defending him. Yeah, fuck it. Yeah, fuck it. I mean, he's Joel. He's Joel Schumacher. He just makes nonsense. He made a movie called Flawless. Starring Robert De Niro and Philip Seymour Hoffman. I saw that. Yeah, what do you think? There was a lot of potential there, but yeah. nothing happened. Yeah, it also was a bomb. Yeah. It was a... Eh. Um, Gossip, starring James Marsden, Lita Headley, Norma Reedus, Kate Hudson. I don't watch James Marsden movies unless there's a <laughs> hedgehog in it. Also a bit of a bomb. Tigerland, Never his war it. movie. Yeah. Starring Colin Farrell. When I worked at Blockbuster, I took it home twice and just never put in the DVD player. Yeah. Also, a budget $10 million, box office 140000 Oof, my goof. But there is a bit, a little bit of a bounce back. Uh, well, we, we should bring up, he did seem to like Colin Farrell because in 2002, he made a neo-noir thriller produced by David Zucker, written by Larry Cohen. Big, big guns. A movie called Phone Booth. Jesus. <laughs> that had been sitting around in production hell so long that phone booths did not exist by the time they actually made it. They had to make some phone booths. Yeah. Also, the giant plot hole in that is even before there were no more phone booths and there's pay phones, you can't call it pay phone. No. <laughs> the whole movie lingers on And they addressed this on the publicity mm-hmm. tour. Because I remember, like, um, Colin Farrell... He's this fucking Michael Caine anecdote the whole time. He's like, you don't get paid for the acting. You do the acting because you love it. You do it for free. You get paid for the waiting around. On this movie, we shot it in 10 days with Joel. It's just so fast-paced. Like I didn't even have to get paid. We done it for free because I didn't have to wait around. Oh, cool. <laughs> that is the only thing I remember besides the plot hole about phone booth. Yes. Because on The Daily Show, they showed a supercut of Tom Farrell <laughs> saying that in every fucking interview mm, he did. Mm. Hey, man, he's a pro. He's just happy he's not on drugs anymore. <laughs> or the other way. <laughs> he's just trying not to be on drugs anymore. Pretty much, yeah. He's a robot. He got reprogrammed. That's, instead of going jogging every day for like 10 miles, he just goes on every TV show. This <laughs> movie's great. Do you guys want to guess what the tagline for phone booth is? Will you pick up? It's close. Will you accept a call? <laughs> Will you accept we, the charges? You accept no, the charges? Uh, the, it is, your life is on the line. Brian, finish the episode for me. <laughs> Holy shit. However, budget $13 million, box office $100 million. Yeah. $100 million doll hairs. However, he then made a movie called Veronica Gurin. Starring Kate Blanchett. I mean, he's like working with like the biggest people in the world all the time. And I've never even heard of this movie. The screenplay by Carol Doyle and Mary Agnes Donahue focuses on Irish journalist Veronica Gurin, whose investigation into the drug trade in Dublin led to her murder in 1996. Jesus. Uh, so I I don't Spoiler know. Spoiler alert. Yeah. Uh yeah, sorry, terribly sorry. Oh, uh, she's dead. But a bomb, but it has Kate Blanchett in it. I mean. Jeezy Crease. He then made a movie, which would be his last hit in 2004. He made, based on the Andrew Lloyd Webber classic, The Phantom of the Opera. I'm an incel in the basement. I'll kill you if you don't love me. And I send you a dick pic. Please reply. <laughs> A lot of ants love that movie. Not not the insect ants. A lot of mom sisters love that movie. They love The Phantom of the Opera, directed by Joel Schumacher, starring Gerard Butler, Jerry Butler, Emmy Rosam, Patrick Wilson. Gerard Butler is in this? Yes. I think he might be the Phantom of the Opera. Yeah, that movie. What the fuck? What the fuck? Production company is Joel Schumacher Productions. And really useful films. Wow. Wow. That's the worst name for a production. It's an international company set up in 1977 by Andrew Lloyd Webber. <laughs> Better not come at Andrew Lloyd Webber, though. He'll fucking beat the shit out of us. 
No, yeah, no, no. yeah, that Fuck, happened. He can't do shit. <laughs> I saw that cast dude, movie in theaters. Dude, his Come gang at me. will get us. Oh, dude, we're in trouble now. He's and, weak as fuck after that movie. Oh man, I took a nap in that movie twice. I tried watching some of that movie. I, man, I. Was you know how hard it is to lose respect for Idris Elba. Yeah, and also, you know how hard it is to just realize how bad Joel Schumacher is and then to watch him take it to another level and it's still made $150 million? I mean, I was blown away. It sucks. That movie sucks. It sucks. He also made a movie which I think may have actually genuinely caused a lot of our problems in America right now based on how stupid everyone is and their love of truly the dumbest conspiracy theories it is a 2007 film. Teams back up with the Riddler, Jim Carrey, in the number 23. That movie didn't cause any problems because nobody saw that piece of shit. <laughs> Untrue. Put your hand down, Brian. <laughs> the number 23 is everywhere. Michael Jordan is after us. Michael Jordan. Devin is Hester will get us. Michael Jordan has ever given a shit about any of us. <laughs> we saw The Last Dance. We know it's true. It's... I kind of will toss out, watch the number 23 if you want to watch the dumbest movie ever made by human beings. I'm literally tossing it up there. It is, wow. The I tried watching it, and they're trying to make a psycho thriller that is about the idea that the number 23 is haunting a man. What are they talking? What? That's not a movie. That's not a movie at all. It sounds like something Kevin Smith would say stoned on his podcast. And then put his daughter in. <laughs> it has 6% on Rotten Tomatoes. But it cost $13 million and made $77 million. I don't, jeezy, crease. That's America right there. That's the American dream. So that kind of rounds out for me the end, though. Uh, as we said, he made some other stuff. He made, uh, you know, a couple of House of Cards episodes. He made some crap. He made a movie called Blood Creek, a movie called 12, Trespass. I don't know if any of those striking you. But I think that was pretty much the end for me of Joel's career. So I think it's time for, and we're going to do it. It's time for the Blockbuster Film School Wall. Well, team, we're not going to do a dumpster this week because um, they're all dumpster fires. (laughs) With the exception of maybe three. (laughs) <laughs> Wait till you hear my list. Oh, I'm very curious. Me and Nick are going to do our wall. Our picks are hot. Hot. Joel Schumacher takes. It's definitely hot in here. There's going to be so many nipples all over. All right. So, Nicholas, what's your number? Just in no particular order. What's your first on your Joel Schumacher hot blockbuster wall? Mine's in a particular order. Mm. My number three is the incredible shrinking woman. Mm, very fun. Yeah. Get high. Yeah. To quote Alex Bonner, mm-hmm. take drugs. Yep. Watch this movie. Yep. Have some laughs. I can't agree with that more. Yeah. Honestly, that's pretty much what the Incredible Shrinking Woman is. Yeah. And Lily Tomlin's great. I think there's a gorilla in it. <laughs> I'll go my third pick. I will do it. As we were talking about it, as we were thinking about it, I will say A Time to Kill. I know it's goofball as fuck. I know it's 90s as fuck, but Samuel L. is great in it. It is strangely woke, even with all the white savior bullshit. And um, Matthew McConaughey's a dreamboat. Okay. He drives a Mercury or something or a Lincoln. I don't remember how it works. Cindy Bullock. It's worth checking out. It's worth seeing. And I hope they die. And I hope they burn in hell. Right? Something like that. Yes. Well, I mean, they are dead. Yeah. <laughs> so he, he doesn't have to hope they're dead. Also, fuck the Ku Klux Klan. All right, fuck white supremacy, fuck racism. And, Nicholas, what's your number two? Batman Forever. Yes. That's my number two as well. Yeah. That's my number two. I'm doing it. That Val Kilmer, the first Batman with a ponytail. First Batman without a personality. <laughs> it's like, I don't, I'm not worried about you know, Martha and uh, Thomas Wayne anymore. No. I think in that alley, they shot him in the head and they gave him a fucking <laughs> turn into regarding Henry without the physical therapy. Oh, like all this is in his dreams. Yeah. All this is in like, no. if they would then at the end of that movie, just cut to Val Kilmer in a mental institution. And it's just like, boop, boop, 
<laughs> That's the best ending. His parents standing over him. Should have been us, but yeah. we're glad it's him. Also, the idea that if someone from Kenner Toys didn't just like pop out in the middle of that movie, he's like, buy this new Batmobile. It's cool. I. <laughs> I'm sorry. That what whole voice—that whole—that's the CEO of Kenner Toys. That whole movie is based around Taco Bell collector's cups more than anything George Lucas could ever come up with. What is your number one, Nick? In all seriousness, I'm picking mm-hmm. this: mm. Batman and Robin. I'm not going to steal it. I'm not going to steal it because that's fabulous. This, I mean, is, this movie is so bad. Yes, it must be seen. It'll take it like three days. You're not going to watch it one sitting. It. If more than anything. And remembering Joel Schumacher mm-hmm. for who he really was. R.I.P. We have to remember him for what he did great mm. and for all his goddamn faults. Agreed. There are no faults bigger than Batman and Robin. Also, if I sounded like an asshole the whole episode, you will watch this and realize I was holding back. Yes. Also, I agree with you fully because sometimes when movies are so terrible, they become epic in a way. And people still talk about Batman and Robin. Yeah. They talk about it more than Batman Forever, in my opinion, because it's so bad. It is as if Tommy Wiseau was allowed to make a big-budget Batman movie. It is bananas how terrible it is. It is the craziest bunch of garbage I've ever seen of a high Hollywood level. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. It's as if Joel Schumacher was a sleeper cell. He was like, I'm going to destroy Hollywood. And he, he snuck his way up to the top. And made this movie and thought what he was he thought America would be destroyed, but no, incorrect. It is the craziest, stupidest thing. And everyone in it should be ashamed of themselves. Except for the guy who played Alfred. Yeah, and also he went, he went through all four of those. He movies. did, man. Cashing that paycheck. I agree. And also Uma Thurman. I mean, she just she's Uma and I she was even in there. Yeah, and it's a bummer. And but she's Uma and also they team this is how bad this movie is. Uma Thurman wants to overgrow the world with plants right. to help the ozone layer and get rid of humans. Mr. Frost, Dr. Frost, Dr. Sleep, whatever his fucking name is, Arnold Schwarzenegger wants to turn the world into an ice cube and freeze everyone to death. Right. These are contradicting plants. <laughs> also, it doesn't they, work. They throw Bane into it for some reason. Oh, yeah. Also, yes. And not as Batman's bisexual nemesis. Like, they throw him in as just like the weirdest. Like, he's like a fucking blow up doll mm -hmm. with a mask on. It's not like a cool way. No, no, there's no. Also, real fast, the Mm -hmm. actor who played that dude, those were all his real muscles. Eventually, they all exploded and he bled to death internally. Wow. So we have slightly conflicting sides, but our number ones. I think will be the two films that Joel Schumacher truly is remembered for. It is Batman and Robin, and I'm going to ride with Super Producer Brian Taps on this. It is The Lost Boys. There's a whole. They're going to say Saint Elmo's Fire. <laughs> I had to remind myself of what the shit that was. Yeah, but The Lost Boys was. You want to see something that's the 80s thing you've ever seen? You want to see just something that's not other movies? You know what I'm saying? It's not a great movie, but it's, it's unique. It's Joel Schumacher getting wild style with vampires in the 80s. And they're wearing jackets that got lots of flair on <laughs> because they want to draw attention to themselves. I don't know. It doesn't make sense because it's Joel Schumacher. But the most common thing in all of his films are like silent assassins who are flashy as fuck. It's (laughs) like if Liberace was out murdering people for the CIA. (laughs) Like flying in on like a Pegasus. (laughs) Like, better watch out, boys. Like, I... (laughs) Listen. Okay, well, I think that's our Joel Schumacher episode. And I will say this. For when I really began to understand filmmaking and understand directors, he was one of those names that I processed as a bizarre auteur in Hollywood. And I've always made fun of him. But then when I found out he died, I kind of was sad. I really was because I didn't agree with him all the time as a filmmaker, but I had to say to myself, well, there's a very bizarre, unique American voice that is gone now. And I think it was dope that he was 
an openly gay dude making movies in Hollywood when basically that was not cool and people were being scumbags to people who were openly gay. And Joel Schumacher was like, fuck you guys. I'm going to put nipples on bat costumes. So I give him credit on being wild style. So that's my final take on Joel RIP. There will never be any of your dumbass movies. <laughs> what, do you, what do you think? You know, it's sad when anyone dies. Mm-hmm. Agreed. End That's of statement. True. End of statement. Also, there are... Except l- Hitler. That wasn't sad. No. I mean, <laughs> or, it's sad when anyone who dies who... Who's like a person. Was allowed, who, you know, yeah. should have lived. Agreed. Yeah. Agreed. Also, he was an openly gay filmmaker. I think there are, are and were... Better openly gay filmmakers. <laughs> so who could have had shots? Yeah. <laughs> We're like, not friends with powerful producers. <laughs> no matter what, he, at the end of the day, he's still a white guy yeah. who made shit and just people kept throwing money at him. <laughs> hey, man, they're throwing money at you. You grab it with both hands. Oh, yeah, here's the thing. If I had a chance to make <laughs> yeah. Batman and Robin for what he got paid for it, yes. I'd be walking around everywhere. Fucking, I'd be, I'm putting nipples on everything. I don't yeah. give a shit. I make Taco Bell collector's cups out of anything. Bane would just have been nothing but nipples. <laughs> Well, everybody, I love Blockbuster Film School. I hope you did, too. Please follow us on all of the favorite things, particularly on Instagram. Nicholas Souter, our headmaster, does some really awesome things on Instagram. So please follow us. That's our kind of main internet conduit. We have a Patreon if you want to check it out. Super producer Brian Tapps produces all of our episodes. He's an amazing human being. I apologize, Joel, if you're haunting us. I'm sorry. But uh, I'm Alex Bonner. I had a great time with you this evening. This was a lot of fun. Yes. And, uh, it's better to talk about Joel Schumacher than watch his movies. <laughs> but I will say this. If you're ever in a bad mood, you can flip on Batman and Robin or, or The Lost Boys or whatever weird Joel Schumacher movie and just say, what the fuck is happening? And you will forget what the fuck is happening in your own life because you'll say, what the fuck is happening in this movie? So we love you guys. We'll see you next week. This is Blockbuster Film School.